Thanks for being here today. It seems like winter has come quickly, very quickly. It's cold. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. And yet, I have a confession to make. I've already watched three Hallmark movies. I don't know why I find them so attractive. I think a part of it is everything works out for the best, okay? And I need some of that. Um, the storyline is predictable. I need some of that. I mean, if I could tell you the number of times I've confidently told you what I think the COVID virus is gonna do in the next three to four weeks and been wrong, right? I mean, every prediction's wrong all the time. And I need something where the predictions are reliable. In life, as you know, things don't always work out. In Hallmark world, you know that there will be bumps in the road. I mean, there's always a last minute twist and a last minute hiccup that makes you doubt and you think it will destroy the whole story, but in true Hallmark fashion, love finds a way, love conquers all, and the end of the story is rarely in doubt. We're in the book of Ruth again this morning. Now, if you know anything about the story of Ruth, back there sandwiched after the book of Judges, you know that Ruth and Boaz, the leading folks in the story, are ideal personalities. They are the best of the best. We expect that this, you know, this story almost reads like a Hallmark story. Ruth is the best possible person. Boaz is the best possible person. They do what is right and good, and they do what we hope good and righteous people will do. Will things turn out okay? Is this a story about duty or is it about love or is it about both? We have to confess though, there's all kinds of things about this story we don't understand, right? I mean, I asked you a couple, well last Sunday, if you might read through the book. You remember this part of the story? There you go, take that shoe. Now, now we have an agreement. Right? I want my shoe back. You don't, you don't know whether he gets the shoe back in the book, right? They don't talk that part in the story, but at one point, Boaz hands off his sandal to seal a bargain. And if that isn't strange enough, we have to admit that there are details of the story that we can't quite figure out from our vantage position. Handing off a shoe is a symbol of a bargain sealed. Here's some other pieces that might be confusing to us. The term kinsman redeemer is a term that was traditionally tied back in that day to land rights. If a family had no descendants, well, there was an order to how the land was transmitted to heirs. Brothers had responsibilities to the wives of their own brothers to make sure there were always heirs to inherit the family's land and to maintain the family name. K 
kinsman redeemer was the one who's responsible to take care of a portion of their family when the unexpected or tragic happens. Gleaning isn't familiar to us. So in Israel, if you're poor, you could go right into the field of the farmer and take everything that fell on the ground and the grain left in the borders of the field. It was considered bad form if the farmer harvested the grain all the way to the edge of the field because you had to make allowances for the poor and the poor had to be invited in to glean, to take what was left behind. We're not familiar with that. You best not go into any farmer's field today. They have rock salt loaded into shotguns for that, right? Maybe you don't remember back that far. Everybody had an obligation to help the poor and it was systematized in particular ways in Israel. Gleaning was one of them. The stigma of being childless in Israel is something we've heard about, but we don't understand it fully in the culture of Israel. Being childless meant no visible means of support in your old age. In a day with no Medicare or Medicaid, in a day with no nursing homes, with much shorter life expectancies, being childless was seen as a curse that would sooner or later bite you as you got older. Not to mention it was the end of your family's financial security. And when you hear this story, the story of Ruth and Boaz, you have to ask yourself, what wealthy guy sleeps in the barn with his grain? Right? That's what happens here. Boaz sleeps in the barn with his grain. Why on earth does Boaz think that a corner of the threshing floor is a great place to sleep for the night? And why is Naomi thinking that she needs to find security for Ruth by getting her married off? Well, actually, maybe we understand that one a little bit. This is the story from chapter three of Ruth. So I'm skipping chapter two, which gives some of the background, jumping right into the narrative of Ruth chapter three. This is the word of the Lord. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Literally, we need to seek some security for you. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and cover, uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. You should remember it's dark. That's why some of these instructions are necessary. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. 
The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a kinsman redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your kinsman redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait my daughter until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. So Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, or as some translations say, the guardian redeemer. If you look back to Leviticus 25 and 25, you get part of the definition. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor that he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest king, kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. So if a relative runs into a debt problem, a kinsman redeemer helps to bail them out in one way or another. In Genesis 38, 8, you read about uh, the responsibility of a man whose brother has died. It was his duty as a kinsman redeemer to marry his brother's wife in order to provide an heir. It's interesting, well, it's interesting to me anyway, that there is this very particular system in Israel that provides for those who are destitute or who have suffered tragedies like an early or unexpected death. The community has thought about this stuff has chosen to do something about it according to the guidance of God. We don't see as much of this today. People often walk away from tragedy to keep from being overtaxed themselves. But there was a plan in Israel. The framework for financial relief is present. And within that framework that was already present, Naomi hatches her plan based on what transpired back in chapter two. Remember, Naomi's not acting in this alone. Back in chapter two, we already heard that Ruth is in the fields of Boaz. We've already seen Ruth gain favor from the workers. We've already seen Ruth gain favor from Boaz. We've already heard the town's opinion of Ruth based on what she did for Naomi. We've already seen Ruth invited to eat with the workers and being served by Boaz. We've already seen Boaz's generosity to Ruth by sending her home with more than she should have suspected. So Naomi isn't a dummy. I mean, she's already put together two and two. She's already, this is fascinating to me, she's already praising God for what he's doing. I mean, she's already seeing what's happening here. He has shown her, Naomi, favor by the way he's helping Ruth. 
Back in chapter two in verse 20, she begins, blessed be the Lord our God. This is the same Naomi who back in chapter one said to her friends as she was returning to town, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter, because I left full and I'm returning empty. But she sees what God is doing in the life of Ruth, and so, all of a sudden her opinion changes and she begins to praise God because she realized he has not abandoned her. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Naomi understands what that feels like. But she's a witness today to say he has not abandoned us. She's seeing things differently. She says, blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken either the living or the dead. How can you forsake the dead? I mean, once they're gone, what can you do in that? But, but this is what Naomi sees. Naomi sees a future that she couldn't see just days before. She sees, a, she sees a future in which Ruth might actually bear children and where the family line will continue. And Naomi sees a future where her husband Elimelech and his sons will have heirs to inherit the land that belonged to the family. Now Ruth doesn't understand all of this, but Naomi sees what's developing. Ruth can't see the handwriting on the wall yet, but Naomi sees what's going on. Remember, Ruth's not an Israel, an Israelite. She can't see this. She doesn't understand the framework, but Naomi understands it all. And what Naomi can see moves her into action. Do these things, Ruth, Naomi says. Wait until Boaz has found a sleeping place. He will likely sleep on the threshing floor since once the grain has been separated from the chaff, it is very valuable. Thieves would love to come up and steal the, green, the grain and so Boaz has to stay there to protect his property. That's why he's in the barn. When you go, disguise yourself to avoid any village gossip and to avoid injuring the reputation of Boaz. Uncover the feet of Boaz so that he will eventually get cold in the night, wake up and notice you at some point. Lay down at his feet to place yourself in a subservient position and invite him to spread his cloak over you, which means, hey, will you marry me? You know, this is very much like the girl proposing to the guy. Right? We haven't completely got there yet in our society. Um, at least I don't think we are. Yeah, we, we're there. Yeah, we're there. Okay. Not on Hallmark, we're not. But, but, but we're there. Uh, and, and Ruth is essentially doing that. I'm not 100% sure Ruth knows she's doing that. Because she's just following her mother-in-law's instructions, right? Her mother-in-law understands the score and she's sending Ruth in saying, you need to tell this guy you want him to marry you. And this is exactly what she's doing this. And you need to remind him that he is also your kinsman, that he has a responsibility. So this is a woman proposing marriage, essentially saying, do your duty, right? That's what's going on in this story. You understand this is a risky business, right? I mean, Naomi wouldn't make this kind of a recommendation if she didn't trust the character of Boaz. 
I mean, a lesser man might take advantage of Ruth at this point. Everything would fall apart at that point, and all of the future that Naomi dreamed would collapse if that were to happen. Her reputation would be ruined. Boaz's reputation would be ruined. There would be no future. But Naomi risks this because she trusts the character of Boaz and she believes God is at work. And so she is working in cooperation with what she believes God is doing. So both Ruth and Boaz are known. Boaz is a man of wealth. He's, dis- he's demonstrated wisdom and kindness to Ruth. He's inquired about her. He's listened to the town gossip about her and the gossip was good. He has been generous with her. So there's good reason to trust Boaz and to trust the God that Naomi believes is working and so the plan is hatched. This is what verse nine says. It's dark, there is no light. So Boaz is startled in the middle of the night. He wakes and there's a woman at his feet. He can't see who this is, it's dark, there's no light. Who are you is a very logical response. I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. The phrasing the author uses to give us Ruth's words here, take us back to chapter two in verse 12 where Boaz says to Ruth, talking about the way Ruth has been faithful to Naomi, where Boaz says to Ruth, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, Ruth says to Boaz, literally spread your wings over me. Ruth's words are literally protection, compassion, redeeming what has been lost. In the same way that Ruth has invited God to spread his wings over her, she now invites Boaz to redeem as well and to spread his wing over her. Of course, like any good Hallmark movie, there's a glitch. Boaz knows there's someone further up the ancestral line that has a prior claim. There's another man who can serve as the kinsman redeemer. And so before things can be settled, this has to be resolved. And in the early morning, Ruth leaves, returns home, waits for the results of her petition. She stated her case, now it's time to wait. Boaz resolves the matter of the prior claim in chapter four, the first 10 verses. The other relative who is closer to Naomi by blood must be given the chance to act as a kinsman redeemer but he declines because the action would hurt him financially. We're not exactly sure why acting as the kinsman redeemer would hurt him financially, but it may be that if he purchases the land from Naomi and then acquires Ruth as a wife and then Ruth has a child, all the land that he purchased would become the property of Ruth's child which would diminish his wealth to pass on to his own children. So it would separate the wealth that he already invested because the money would come from here and have to go over here and eventually this family would be separate. So there was, we don't know, it could, it could be something like that. 
Interesting though, interestingly though, Boaz isn't worried about that because he doesn't have any other heirs and because Ruth's heirs will be his heirs and these two families will come together. And more importantly, the cost to himself has never been considered. He's never thought of himself in any part of this. God has spread his wings over Naomi and Ruth and Boaz will happily do the same. You can almost hear the music swelling at the end of the story. Everything has turned out exactly as it should. There's a marriage, there's children. Bitterness is turned back into joy and fullness. That's the role of the kinsman redeemer. And we understand here in Manchester in the year 2021 that Boaz is an example, a forerunner, a, a picture of who Christ will be. When Jesus steps into our lives, things change. His pain doesn't immediately remove, or his, his presence doesn't immediately guarantee the removal of our pain and loss. His presence doesn't guarantee that everything will turn out perfectly. But in another very real way, we are much like Ruth. We are people with no future unless someone steps in to help us. We try to pretend that's not true of us, but it is. Unless our Redeemer acts for us, there is no redemption possible. Our new life in Christ is by his mercy and his grace alone. Only he can provide it, only he can guarantee our future, only he can spread his wings over us and cover us. The great kinsman redeemer is working through his church to redeem everything that can be redeemed. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we count the cost of getting involved and decide it's too much. But when we choose to cooperate with that grace of God that he is bestowing on us, that he will not only cover us with his wings, but will invite us to spread our wings as well and advance the redeeming work of God through his Holy Spirit. I've seen examples of this in this church people caring for others, stepping up in hard times. Some years ago, I, I walked with the congregation through a time where a young man in his 30 died of liver cancer. His wife and two children were left behind and the, and the church spread their wings over this family and they cared for them and made sure the kids got to soccer games, set up scholarship accounts for the children for college and they just, embrace this I've seen folks here do that sort of thing there isn't time to stop doing that sort of thing if ever we needed to stretch our wings a little further it is now and while we're stretching remember always that you too were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ redeemed by the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
It's appropriate then this morning for us to celebrate this communion meal and to remember that our redemption is secure because our great kinsman redeemer, Jesus our Christ, has spread his rings over us, provides what we need, gives us a future, rescues us from all that sin and death has done to us and makes it possible for us to have hope that things will change because of his presence among us. In the Church of the Nazarene, we invite all those who would choose to follow Jesus Christ as Lord to participate in the communion meal. I'm gonna ask those who are going to assist me to come at this time and prepare. Our typical practice is at the end of the liturgy, I invite the congregation to stand and you exit by the exterior side aisles, receive the elements, return by the interior aisles to your seat and then we receive all the elements together. It is a right and joyful thing always and everywhere to give you praise, Heavenly Father. You revealed yourself to your people Israel. You demonstrated your love for us. And though we wavered and walked away from you rejecting your love, you continued to love us to the point where you took on flesh, were born in Bethlehem as a baby, lived among us, was crucified by us, defeated death and rose to the right hand of the Father where you live ever to make intercession. And so together with all your people, we sing this song of praise together. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, and when he had broken it, he gave thanks, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. After dinner, he took the cup. He told them the cup. He told them that the cup was the symbol of his blood, which sealed a new covenant. We understand it to be the cup of salvation. As often as we do this, we do this in remembrance of him. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your presence among us. And we pray now that this bread and this juice and the bread and juice in every home united with us online would become for us the body and blood of Christ, that together we may be reconstituted as the body of Christ for the world. Help us, Lord Jesus, to understand the depth of your sacrifice and pour out your spirit on us that we might be united in mission. And that as we do this, we remember the depth of your love for us, but also the fact that one day 
you will return for your people. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Amen. I'd invite you to stand and come and receive the elements from these and then uh, return to your seats as many as you would choose. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven, may it preserve you blameless to everlasting life. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, let's drink together with joy, remembering how much Christ loves us. Heavenly Father, thank you for these gifts, these extravagant gifts that remind us that we are yours, that you have spread your wings over us, that you've invited us into your family, that you have secured a future for us. May these truths bring us great joy as we consider all that you've done for us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. May you live with the confidence that comes from knowing the Almighty has spread his wings over you, that your future in him is secure, and may you live to his glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.